Gracias. Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. Tom, are you out there? You know what, buddy? I found something completely interesting um, today, actually, that builds on something that we talked, I think, briefly in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's it can't be a coincidence. Do tell, friend. Well, when I was watching part eight... Um, I would, you know, it's kind of broken up, obviously, into sections, obviously, before, um, well, we start off with Mr. C, and then when it goes into the actual, like, Trinity test, and then we go to 1956, but um, I figured out, because I've got these weird, I've got a weird, like, kind of statistician head, stats, numbers, and stuff, that I figured out that that section from the first title card in Part 8, which was 1945, to the next title card which was 1956, was exactly 24 minutes and 19 seconds long. And uh, watching part 18 for probably the 88th time, um, I just somehow intuitively was thinking, well, maybe there's like some kind of like tie-in, not necessarily with part eight, but with the, the length of the section when Cooper meets Carrie Page. And lo and behold, the moment he arrives outside her house, to or through the credits, the end credits is actually 24 minutes and 19 seconds. So both of those sections are the exact same running uh, running time. So okay, cool, right? Coincidence, probably. I don't think there's any kind of sync issues or anything like that. I just think it's you know Lynch is in a numerology. Maybe there's something with that. But today I was like, okay, maybe there's something else. Lo and behold, my friend, part three, the very first frame of part three when we see Cooper careening through space to yeah. the moment that he appears out of the <laughs> yeah. wall socket yeah, tell in me more. Rancho Rosa, 24 minutes and 19 seconds. Three sections, three of the most iconic, three my three favorite sections in the entire series have the exact same running time. So if you do the numerology, do they all add up to the number of completion or something? Have you done something? No, but here's what's interesting, right? So 2419, 24 minutes and 19 seconds, that if you add those numbers up, it's 16. 16. And then you add 1 and 6, which is 7, which is Lynch's oh, lucky nah. number. And then also, if you add, okay, so if you have the first digit, which is 2, you keep that by itself, and then you do the second set of numbers to two which is four and one adds up to five and then the third number which is a nine if you divide that by three two five three well you kind of lost me there on the last part but i'll take your word for it. once we get down to it <laughs> i don't think this means anything but i mean come on it's yeah, oh, come cool on it's gotta mean something right sure like, right well well i don't think like like sync people were trying to sync part 17 and 18 i think in reverse Running 17 and 18, running 17 and then running 18 in reverse. I well, think they lapped or, or it over each versa. other, right? They overlapped or it. lapped it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, there were some kind of cool um, similarities. I watched it. I didn't really find there was a couple of moments, but and then Sabrina well, aren't, the, aren't all three of those scenes, they're like going into some sort of alternate reality, perhaps? 
right? Well, yeah, that's not just not like a uh, time. Yeah, it's not just like you know, hey, you know, a roadhouse scene or you know, scenes in Twin Peaks. There are three really very unique uh, scenes, basically, or sections um, that three I of think the most impactful sections in the whole series, right? I completely agree. So I think that that really was kind of mind-blowing, thinking that, well, here it is. And, and I was just thinking of the whole series in general, prepping for this podcast, like, you know, what do we want to talk about? And Because we've talked about pretty much every, everything, but there's just so many mysteries still out there. It really is. I mean, it's like if you think of something like Fire Walk With Me, which is just this normal two-hour and, I think, 14-minute film, which came out, you know, 25 years ago, and people are still kind of speculating on that all these years, all these kind of mysteries. We have 18 hours that we were given this year, and, you know, that's like, you know, almost like, what, like nine times of what Fire Walk With Me, and just, and it was far more denser and, you know, more abstract, and there's just so many mysteries that uh, I we'll be talking about them forever, I think. Well, like I remember like one of the things that one of the fans did was they synced up, um, what was it, the end, the scene where Cooper stuck his fork into the electrical socket and the one where Charlene Yee was on the dance floor. Oh, they yeah. They overlapped them and they were exactly syncing in to when he crawls on the ground and she crawls on the ground and he sticks his electrical, uh, his fork in the socket and she screams at the exact same moment. Um, I, and they, I love the, I, I could watch that scene. Someone put it on YouTube <laughs> and they had them both uh, crosscut and it was great. And uh, I was, I think I remember asking you, like, is that on purpose? You know, is the 17 or 18 overlap on purpose? Is this three major impactful scenes of 318 and 38 and 18 that are all the exact same? Like, what if we played them all together? Like in a, in a triple, you know, split screen? <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like, what would that mean? Put all three of them. Someone should do that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I tried to watch the uh, 8 and uh, 18, and, and there were there were some interesting moments in there. I think, like, right when Cooper shows up outside Carrie Page's house and he sees the electrical pole with the number 6, like, the very first, if you sync it up properly with his 24 minutes and 19 seconds, the, the moment that he sees that electrical pole 6, the uh, countdown from the atomic bomb, uh, atomic test, says 6 at that same time. So that was one of the interesting uh, uh, sync issues. And there's a couple other things as well, which I, it's been a couple of weeks since I watched this or whatever, wrote some notes down. But um, I know Lynch spent a lot of time in post and he was very careful every frame. I mean, he is the master of this production. Every frame, every sound, special effect. I mean, he had his hands over everything and he's big into numerology, like we mentioned. And um, I think there was a reason why he wanted it to be 18, 18 parts. Um, I think there was a reason why that maybe certain things like we're discussing, you mentioned the Charlene Yee and, and Cooper Fork scene that do sync up and it kind of plays into kind of the whole mystery mythology of, of, of the show um, with, the, with whether we're living inside a dream, if there are multiple realities. Well, do you think he actually is in the editing booth and going like telling Dwayne Dunham like it's got to be twenty four nineteen like you know like just listen to me don't like don't ask questions don't figure it out <laughs> is that happening or is this happening in some sort of uh, you know mystical way where he doesn't know it, he's being that um, the synchronicity is that defined um, in his in, in these works he doesn't know it maybe or does he know it the first two the part eight and eighteen the twenty four nineteen I mean I just kind of chalk that up well maybe you know that's kind of just a, a weird kind of coincidence but then now with the third section in part three makes me think like well maybe that there was or you know a, a definitive you know reason why he chose that uh running time those three sections it's just i just think it just adds it's just more mystery uh, not only to David Lynch, the filmmaker, but to the narrative Twin Peaks. Which is, we're, we've been trying to crack this nut since uh, part one, and we're all over the place, along with, you know, I think everyone else. And I think there's some very good theories out there. Um, and we've certainly put some stuff out there as well. Uh, but I, like I said before, we're just scratching the surface. Well, what if, what if, though, like you look at like that, that part of part three, the first 24 minutes you're saying of part three, and then yeah. you're looking at the, the Arizona part in part eight, the last 24 or the, the Mexico part that what, what is that? The start and stop of that? Like what happens in the story? Like right after Cooper sits up or evil Cooper sits up and then we boom. Is that, where does it start in the end? In yeah. It starts eight? right when you, the, the title card appears, it says what July was it? 5th, after the nine inch nails, right after what, well, right after the nine inch nails and when Mr. C. Are you even acknowledging up. that that's a part of the series? No, know. I'm not. You, you just, had to bring it up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's not I, included. Okay. So no, it's not. It, it's from title card to title card. 
So then what happens like in that part, like until the end? Well, that's the whole like, you know, I mean, all the way to the end explosion. All the way. Okay. Okay. Does it end all the way way through the woodsman and the experiment going into the fireman's mansion, the Laura orb getting sent up to the screen and then fading out. And then as soon as the next title card, um, you know, we see the the next title card, which is New Mexico, 1956. That's ding. That's, that's where it stops 24 minutes and 19 seconds. So basically that whole self-contained section. So it's not like it bleeds over into like, you know, a different part. That's what's so interesting about all three of these. They're really like these little mini sections, these middle, uh, little like pocket symphonies, as uh, Brian Wilson call, uh, called uh, his uh, masterpiece Smile, which is one of my favorite uh, uh, albums out there. But um, it's self-contained. So that's another... Well, that's what I'm seeing. Like, could we like cut it together, those three parts, and watch them? What would it mean? I will tell you three things. In three and in eighteen, he's going like he's going into a, another universe, and he's being he's visiting a woman in trouble, right? Right. Nido, right. No, it, and then yeah. uh, Carrie Page. They're kind of right. they're similar parallels to those journeys, yeah. And we're also going into or seeing another world, basically after the atomic explosion, or basically maybe a rift in time, which allowed you know the experiment to spew Bob and all these other eggs into our you know onto earth and then the the convenience store and then ultimately the 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 fireman's uh, mansion so we were taken to another world basically in that section as well it looks like we're 100 percent certain that we're not sure well you know one thing that could tie it all uh, together is judy right if if when this is what we're going to talk is going to be the bulk of our yeah. conversation tonight yeah. is i was trying that, to get a step <laughs> <laughs> you're so good my friend um yeah, the, the, the NATO as Judy, um, part three aspect, if you're going to you know, go along those lines, and then obviously we see you know, the experiment Judy in part, um, part eight, and then the whole thing about part 18, I think, is just this kind of subtext or this just Judy presence. It's everywhere in part 18. I mean, it's just, we've got the diner. Uh, we're going to talk about Diane, and we've got what may or may not be in the Palmer House as well. This is Tremont, yeah. Yeah, right. Who is Judy? Does Judy want something from me? Why don't you ask Judy yourself? Let me write it down for you. The Nido connection and Judy and all that stuff. We've been kind of talking about that over the last couple of episodes. So let's just lay it out for everybody so we can, uh, you know, get some feedback on it and see if it sticks. Yeah, so... But ask, tell me, though, how does it differ from the Unified Lodge theory? You know, let's... Well, it doesn't, no. It's just the kind of an addendum to the yeah, Unified okay. Lodge theory. It's not like... I, I don't... I, I really strongly believe that, especially watching the episodes again and again, is that, you know, what we're positing uh, about Cooper and his journey from pretty much part two, you know, through 17, um, still still sticks. It's just adding some 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 meat to the unified lodge theory but for me it was it was really going back to my first time of watching part three and and seeing nato and that whole great i mean that really was such an incredible section um but seeing it for the first time right before she pulled that lever for the candle or the candle the camera holds on her face and for the first time she has really kind of a different expression before she was you know very you know, she was uh, uncertain of, of Cooper and his presence, and then she seemed kind of relieved. And then she was like, you know, very cautious when, you know, the pounding started at the door and she wanted to prevent him. You know, she was scared. There was fear. And then there was kind of like, you know, resignation or determination to get out there. But then right before she pulled the lever and the camera lingers on her, and I, I recall this from the first time I saw it, is that she just had this, this expression on her face. It's almost like... Yeah. Fooled you, or going to yeah, fool like some- a smile, like a, yeah. you know, kind of a almost like Sarah Palmer's, like when she pulls her face off, like a little faint, strange smile, like right? Was it, was yeah. Does she show her teeth? No, she doesn't show her teeth, but then you can just see it. You just you just feel it as well, and it's so different. 
um, from what she has been kind of, you know, emoting or communicating or not communicating somehow to us at that point. And if she knows that you know, something's going to change, I mean, she might not know that she's going to get flung off, but I think that she does. I think that's a small tell, a little visual clue. And there's so many of them in, in the 18 hours. So that always stuck with me. And that's why I always vacillated with her characters. Like I didn't know if she was very helpful or trying to be helpful to Cooper or if she was trying to trick him. And um, I just, and then when the whole Diane thing, the Diane reveal in part 17, I just never really kind of accepted that as like kind of the reality until part 17, again, when I was watching it on closer inspection recently, where, you know, you have the whole big Cooper face kind of superimposed over that whole scene. I think the first time that that image appears is um, when he notices NATO. I believe I, I could be wrong about I that. Think so I think so too. Think that's the case, and then you know, then we have her transformation, right? So we see her face, and if you notice her face, like Cooper's face over her, his eyebrows are in a place on her head, which is very similar to the you know the 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 Jowday, the experiment image that we saw on the Cooper's playing card, we saw on Hawk's living map, and it was just very curious. I mean, because Lynch could have placed her, he could have had the camera a little bit closer, a little bit you know further away, and it was like maybe this is another visual clue that what Mr. C was after and what this extreme negative force is is right here. It is NATO. So that set off the chain of events. That to me is just a very powerful visual. But to have it, you know, be with NATO, because we see before she transforms or as she's transforming, we see like eventually the Black Lodge appear within her face, which I thought was very interesting. We saw the Tulpa Diane in the Black Lodge. But when Mr. C took Diane, um, you know, to create the Tulpa back wherever, you know, whenever, like 97, he took her to a gas station, you know, the convenience stores. And, and we know that he didn't want to go to the Black Lodge. He had been resisting going back to the Black Lodge for this whole time. So how did, if Diane really is NATO, how did she wind up in the Black Lodge? I just think that really is what we're seeing here is NATO as Judy or Judy as NATO and realizing that this little, like, uh, plot angle mystery uh, has has been foiled by Cooper and Freddie and the fireman and or Briggs. And what she's doing is, is that she is thinking on the fly and she's changing into a familiar, a Diane to Cooper uh, to continue, like to go into the next, uh, you know, the, the next track, the next mystery to ultimately, like, you know, get to her end game, which will lead to, you know, part 18. Yeah, and what a better trap to set than to have like this damsel in distress, Nido, who needs his help, you know, and so he's assuming that he's there to, to help her, but really he's falling into Judy's trap by falling once again down the proverbial rabbit hole, trying to chase to be the White Knight, you know, and he knew Judy knew that, you know, because it's either Nido is either Diane or it's Judy, it's one of those two, yeah, you know. So right. I agree that it, it does feel like it's Diane. So I mean it's, that it is Judy because. Yeah, for, and room. also, yeah, also for me, it was like I couldn't figure out why um, Lynch chose to have NATO in part 14 appear nude uh, near the, the portal um, right at uh, um, you know, near Jack Rabbit's palace, palace you know, yeah. which is presumably the White Lodge. But we get no mention of the White Lodge um, in this, this series, but we think that that, that is that particular location. So why have her be nude? And, and you kind of, <laughs> I remember you said, well, she burned up, her clothes burned up through like a, a entry into our atmosphere, Possibly. right? Yeah. Entry. But what if like her whole thing was, is that that whole thing about Cooper, his journey, you know, out of the lodge and to, you know, her domain, that, that purple room, and ultimately to, you know, Vegas and beyond was, was all part of like a plan to get rid of Cooper. And of course it, it, it you know, it, it ultimately didn't work, but with NATO herself, her plan is to, to unite with Mr. C slash Bob. And so she shows up right there at that portal. And I'm thinking like, okay, what we got from the final dossier and, you know, Mark Frost's book, and he had mentioned that um, kind of like you're insinuated basically that what Judy Jowday wanted was to unite with Bob, you know, these two extreme negative forces and to unite and which would bring about the end of the world. So 
this very well could be some kind of like, you know, uh, you know, anti Garden of Eden. She was, you know, in this location surrounded by this mossy grass and she was nude. Mr. C was going to get there. He was just a day late. And if they would have come together at that point, symbolically uniting through coitus and then setting off a chain of events that would lead to the end of the world. But that didn't happen. Do you think that would really even happen, though? Like, I was thinking, like, if this is all in the Cooper figment, you know what I'm saying? Like, that he thinks that, you know, maybe his dark side wants to... It's like killing two birds with one stone in reverse. Like, Judy is killing two birds with one stone by by corrupting Cooper's... The good... The, the bad Cooper's soul and merging with it and having the bad Cooper want to, like, you know, come about and bring the end of the world and copulate with Judy and go pure evil. And so that's one test. Like, she's got uh, basically traps set out for bad Dale and good Dale. You know, Good Dale yeah. wants to destroy Judy, you know, and so she's setting a trap for uh, the Good Dale by putting him with Nido and putting him through all of that. And then also Nido ends up becoming like a bad coops trap at, uh, at Jackrabbit's palace. So it's almost it's all like one thing to me. It's almost like the riddle that Co- the Cooper never like it almost seems like the whole, you know, Moonchild stuff is like almost like a red herring, you know, or that it's just a, par- a plot point that Judy is using to fuck his head, fuck with his head inside. the. Yeah, it's possible. But uh the one thing about that you mentioned about destroying Judy, like Cooper destroying Judy, and I, I kind of went along that line as well, but uh, on a rewatch of part 17, when Cole is telling Albert and Tammy about Zhao Day, the first real mention we get of, of, of Zhao Day is that um, Briggs, before he disappeared, Major Briggs told um, uh Cole and Cooper about Zhao Day and what they did was before both of them disappeared they came up a plan that would lead to Judy they didn't say or he didn't say to destroy Judy now you could just you know go along the lines what to lead and to ultimately destroy but I thought I thought that was interesting that he actually you know used the word lead and and not like destroy so because I, I don't really believe that you can kill you know, evil destroy. She is the ultimate evil, like, you know, symbolically, like the devil or whatever. You can't kill that. I don't think, um, in my personal philosophy, like, you know, evil and good, they, they coexist and, and they don't exist without the other. So, um, so I don't really believe that it was to destroy. Um, I just think that this is really some kind of like cosmic chess game between the firemen and, and, and Judy. And it's all about kind of a checkmate. But, you know, like the Seventh Seal, I think that, that that game is going to be going on, like, indefinitely through other worlds as well. I mean, because that's one thing I believe is that when we saw the experiment show up in, in part eight after the atomic test, it was like, I think that, you know, and Bob came came from her, that they they had already been to, like, other worlds and they had probably destroyed or, you know, influence negatively other worlds. And this was just an opportunity to come to another world and do their, you know, evil deeds. And it's like, it seems like that's what the fireman has been doing is it's not, he's not, it's not self-contained to earth. We're just seeing this storyline, but it's probably been going on for like millions and or billions of years. Yeah, maybe some of the lodge members are at the Bigelow Ranch that, like, Harry Reid was funding with the UFO sightings. <laughs> you sent me that link. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because you found yeah, that well, very I mean, fascinating. It's very interesting. Yeah, I think it was very interesting that Harry Reid was funding that UFO uh, study and that they were it was centered around that Bigelow Ranch in Utah. Actually, it wasn't in Nevada, but he was a yeah. billionaire. And they, they were saying that they weren't actually looking at aliens. They were looking at creatures from a different time like a different portal and there's a time portal just like the lodge on the site with orbs terrifying inducing orbs and all kinds of shit that kind of i was reading into it and i was like wow this sounds a lot like lodge entities rather than uh, aliens from a different planet they're aliens from a different dimension and somehow it's all laced, uh, interrelated to that bigelow ranch place which made me think that lynch somehow knows something i don't know Maybe or frost right. you would think that would be frost, more kind yeah. of like a frost yeah. thing right yeah. yeah yeah so but back to the story i mean back to this whole thing it does feel like it's like it still feels like it's a chess game uh not for like necessarily the the universe or whatever you know to good versus evil vanquishing good from the or evil from the world it's more like a chess game for cooper's soul you know well yeah and killing two birds with one you know it's like trying to vanquish the the dark side out of him or the evil that men do you know what i mean the bob in him you know and if he that's a test you know he's playing chess with judy and if he well, don't wins, you th- then he gets to he gets to keep his soul like Bob, you know. Or if he loses, he has to give his soul up like Wyndham Earl to Judy. Well, he was in kind of this purgatory state for like twenty five years because he, I think he he didn't I guess lose his soul, but he 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 lost a part of himself. Or he he 
did not face his shadow self with this you know perfect courage or this courage that um, he had this dialogue with Hawk about in the original series, and he suffered the consequences were of being in this purgatory state for 25 years. And you would think that when he got the next opportunity to actually do something about it, that he would very well do it, but he didn't. He seemed to go on a, a different track and go like, you know, on the story of the little girl who lived down the lane and not about really kind of dealing with his own kind of soul. Yeah, I think that's his own what flaws. Yeah, I agree. It's all about he's looking outward. He thinks that he's got it all solved in himself, and he never does. And his whole ridiculous well, don't you... plan of being able to, you know, kill two birds with one stone, walk up out to the threshold on the Palmer doorstep and have no fucking plan to even get through the door. <laughs> and just think it's going <laughs> to fall magically to happen. He just thinks it's just going to happen because he's there. He's got the, he thinks he's got the courage and he's got the righteousness, like the mission is pure. And so somehow he's going to succeed, but he just doesn't have the planning, man. That's the problem. Do you think it's possible the whole two birds with one stone? Because I think a lot of people have speculated that um, it's Bob and Judy. Um, and I, I'm not saying that I, I believe this, but um, there might be something to it. If the two birds um, are actually Leland and Sarah. And yeah, the solving just... Laura's killer and then vanquishing or find Judy. Like Judy. Yeah. Yeah. Because of going back in time and saving Laura and preventing, you know, her death and and that whole you know, narrative, how it would play out with, you know, what was in her house, her parents. If that was really the, the two birds, you know, with with the one stone, uh, yeah, there's possibility with that. Um, yeah, I don't the whole thing because Bob really there's not really a Bob presence in part 18. I mean, other than we're seeing kind of a residual Mr. C effect in Cooper at various points in part 18. But, you know, there is no kind of reference to Bob or anything like that. I mean, I don't believe Bob is completely or has been completely destroyed because, <clears throat> you know, I just don't think, <laughs> hopefully, I don't think so at all. Glove. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so at all. But I think there's some residue there. But I think really part 18 was more about, you know, Judy and obviously Carrie Page. But another thing I want to uh, ask you, getting back to, to NATO and the, like her position there, uh, that location, um, if she was there, I mean, we don't know how long she had been there, but if she was, I would think a very, very important, as Andy said, and um, there was a reason why um, he gave, the fireman gave Andy those clues, but, you know, all really happened for NATO was, you know, she was put in a cell, and then she was let out, and then, you know, she changed into Diane once Cooper, you know, once Bob was defeated, but if being at that location, so close to the portal, like right there, if she was that, that important, why didn't the fireman just suck her up to like prevent her from being killed by these people or destroyed? I think there was a reason why that she was left out there. I mean, do you think that there's a reason why uh, the fireman didn't pull her in at that point? Well, that's what I mean. I think everyone thought the fireman had everything handled with Freddie and Bob and the whole deal, but I think he missed something. Like he forgot Like Judy had this like, this other little plan B going on that, that it was a, tr basically she outsmarted the fireman, I think with that Judy, by putting Nido down there and that he didn't expect that. Yeah. I think that's around. a very, very salient point. And I, I think that that is something that very well may be true is that the fireman was somehow duped. And I think it ties back into um, the scene, the first real proper scene that we had in the show in part one, where he's talking to Cooper, is that it is in her house now. And, you know, I always kind of took it that like Cooper, it was like, you know, kind of this, this message, you know, and it meant a lot. It had a great weight to it because he seemed very like stern and, and concerned. But if you look at it on a, a different tack, if this, if that scene took place, like after the events of like part 17 or in between 17 and 18, and if he realized his whole plan with Freddie and Briggs and trapping Mr. C, like he got some of it right, but overall Judy duped him and she's still out there. And this great evil still exists within the Palmer home and concern, not only for his house, so to speak, but communicating that to Cooper and going to rectify. And it kind of lessens the Cooper as the flawed, you know, detective, because I think he's a flawed human, but I don't necessarily think he's like a flawed or a tremendously flawed detective, at least at, the, at that point. So I think you're right. I think that the fireman, Judy, somehow duped the fireman um, with the presence of NATO. I agree. So does that, what does that mean? Evil wins? <laughs> <laughs> no. And also, is Diane, like, real? Or was she just, like, a figment? Because, like, can, you remember, like, the, the Tarkovsky movie Solaris, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I remember he was, like, 
they were like circling around that that planet, and he kept seeing like visions of his wife, right? Who was and dead, right? Was dead, she dead? Yeah. right? And so that's what I was, I was thinking. Like, is Diane just like that, like a vision? Like she's not even alive. Maybe, maybe Mister C fucking killed her, you know? And that that she's not even there. That she's just like this memory. That that you know, would, if there were a season four, would you imagine Diane would come in and it would be like. Diane, hey, you're back, and like we're going to be continuing adventures because it just seemed like she was, you know, not not ever real. Like all we were seeing was like mirrors and reflections of her through his mind, and maybe through like Judy's twisted evil as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that um, she took on the guise of Diane because she was a familiar uh, to Cooper, and she represented this kind of light in his life, someone that you know he could depend on and knowing i think judy just like the fireman i think is omniscient could see things that you know well in advance i think the same thing holds true for for judy she's going to go ahead and hide under diane to somehow manipulate him and i think what we got is a great visual clue in part 18 when they pulled up outside the motel and she sees her double outside i think that is like a a visual clue to us that what we're who we're seeing in that car is not the diane that cooper thinks it's not when he asks her in part 18 is it really you and they both ask each other that it, it, it's I, I think both of them I, I don't think it's true for both of them i think cooper is you know got this mr c his darker self within him at that point that um is is coming out you can see his expression he wants to kind of smile he seems kind of happy but there's something just not clicking there and the same thing holds true with diane and then when they just cross over i don't think that they cross over as richard and linda and change identities i think that they kind of cross over into either a dream or some kind of another you know extension of of, of the lodge the black lodge like what we saw through you know in parts you know three through 18 or three three through 17 yeah, it'd be great if season four they were like Doctor Who and they were just cruising around, but their TARDIS was like the car and they were just flying on the left highway <laughs> through all the different dimensions. I love that scene. That was one of my favorite scenes of 18 when they were doing the old time jump in the car, Lost Highway. Yeah, yeah, awesome. doing like with the lights and then yeah. the shifting of the yeah, yeah of their uh, their it's like bodies, they're going into positioning. Yeah. yeah, and don't you think the whole not the whole rationale of making this 18 hour um, film you know, broken up into parts. But I think watching it again and thinking about it and you know, reading some of the interviews, reading Frost's book here, and, and then knowing of, you know, the original series and Firewalk With Me, kind of the backstory with, uh, you know, the detailings with the ABC executives and what the Lynch and Frost originally wanted to do, not solving the murder of Laura Palmer and just having it kind of just kind of recede in the background, always kind of be there, but create all these different mysteries. And it wasn't about finding out who the actual killer and they were forced to do it. But here was their chance 25 years later to create a new series and to kind of address that cliffhanger to some extent, we didn't get the house Annie answered in the series, but ultimately we did tie book. in. She's well, fine. yeah, yeah. But ultimately, to have Cooper time jump, um, which wasn't completely out of you know left field because we know Philip Jeffries was doing this in Fire Walk with Me, so at least it's built into kind of the mythology. And by saving Laura and changing the events, that if they decided to come back. They've got a, a clean slate, a tabula rasa, where they can go ahead and maybe spend more time in the Twin Peaks community. Maybe that's what this was. They have this grandiose story with all these different portals and, and the mythologies and these you know spirits and all these different locations, but to slowly bring it back to Twin Peaks and to ultimately, in a season four or beyond, return to that town, but do it where it's different and they can create this whole mystery where Laura never died, and we see our, our characters in kind of this new timeline, and they'd be almost like completely new characters. And so they can have a, this, this, like I said, this <laughs> clean slate. <laughs> so I think we talked about this on the phone, but not on the podcast. So you think that like if we retcon <laughs> Laura's death, right? It was pretty fucking bleak <laughs> in Twin Peaks in season three. Uh, would her retcon death make it better or even bleaker? And would like <laughs> Shelly be like Norma and Big Ed would be James, and that would just be a complete like John Malkovich type of just bizarro world where <laughs> we don't know who the fuck anybody is anymore. Yeah, I think like Leo's I, head's glued on like a dog, you know. Like just... <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the uh, remake there. But um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think my answer to that, just when you, you, you asked me was like, it would, it would start off kind of dark and then it would slowly become lighter because what we got in this 18 hour series, I think really was kind of a dark twin peaks. I mean, most of our characters that from the original show, their fates, you know, their, their lives were kind of unfulfilled or dark, you know, dark. There was this presence in the community, which it felt more kind of like a deer meadow and Firewalk with me. It didn't feel like the original twin peaks. And I think the reason why is because, well, you know, we're living in a different time. I think Lynch and Frost is not only like, you know, artists, but as like individuals and they have their own personal philosophies they are kind of commenting, I think on our you know current state, but I think the whole thing tied into the show uh, you can get or gather from some of the log lady speeches that this glow was in the community of Twin Peaks. It somehow made things. It was a very special place, but I think this glow somehow made it even more unique and, you know, eradicate some of the darker elements, you know, in the society because of this, this glow. And I think that glow really was kind of Laura Palmer and represented in, in this new series by, by the ore, but it's fading now. And the darkness represented by, you know, Judy and Sarah, you know, the jumping man or, you know, Mr. C. Bob is more prevalent. And I think that's what we got in these 18 hours. So if we had another season, I think that that would still be a big part of it. But I think it would be about returning the glow to Twin Peaks because we didn't get a return of the glow. The glow was fading and the very last yeah, shot of work. the series, it didn't work. I mean, the lights went out, literally the glow, everything ended and we, we, <laughs> yeah. we were on black yeah. darkness. We back where we started again with a fucking whisper. We're back in the whisper <laughs> right. loop. Yeah, so that's Although maybe I like think. season four would be like, you know, Laura is the, the, you know, she's almost like could be reincarnated as the log lady and she's coming back to take care of her mother. It would be mother versus daughter. Yeah. Like that was, Judy versus the... Did- uh, the golden Isn't that what we kind of yeah. hope that we would Karen. see, like some kind of confrontation? I want to see have... them take their faces off, both of them. Well, just I mean, see yeah, what face off, but yeah, just to see off. them together in a scene with Sarah being possessed and Laura still not knowing who she is. I just wanted to see those two together. <laughs> I miss her so much. I miss her so much. I miss her so much. Don't you feel that this narrative, this this whole 18 hours, even though kind of Laura was kind of hovering over um, the whole storyline and she didn't really have much screen time, but this really was about Agent Cooper and his journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's the return. It's all about him. You know, and I think she was a figment, a part of his uh, his journey, which may have never left. And I wonder, like, you know, watching the DVD and seeing how Lynch was, you know, directing the actors and really like basically everything on the page was as it was. You know, and they weren't saying, okay, well, actually, none of this is real. He never left the lodge and all that shit. You know, and I wonder, like, do you think that even, like, David Nevins in Showtime, when they signed off on this fucking thing, and even when they watched it, that they even knew what the fuck was going on? You know what I'm saying? Did they understand that layer that was really happening? You know, that, that's now becoming, it's not just us and, like, the super, you know, fringy, obsessive Twin Peaks fans that are thinking it. Like, I remember seeing... Just a few days ago, I think I retweeted it, but somebody did a little uh, a Peanuts cartoon, and it was like the old philosophical <laughs> Linus. With, and he was like, do you think like Cooper ever left the lodge? You know, And so it's come to that, to where a lot of fans like accept that as a, po- a real distinct possibility. And I wonder if uh, Nevins and Showtime, that they really got that, or that they were just kind of going, it's a time-traveling you know, story at the end, and Cooper's just to tick off on the, on the time travel, and Carrie and him are going to have other adventures. I wonder if they got the depth of what Lynch was was giving us whether it's true or not you know it's definitely an option what do you think well i think maybe like i think subconsciously i think they did but uh, you you bring up something very interesting like the super fans like you and i and just a lot of people out there who know the show like inside and out we struggle mightily with you know the mythology and the mysteries of what's going on so i think someone you know like these executives these suits and they could very well be very smart have you know, genius iqs but you know it, it, probably didn't really kind of get it. And it warrants so many repeat viewings. That's the whole thing is that, I mean, you and I love Twin Peaks and David Lynch, but we would watch this, the, the episodes again and again, and each time we'd pick up things, new things. And that, and I'm still picking up things, watching it for, I mean, I can't even count how many times. It's really just so 
dense and it was it's so mysterious that I think it's impossible. You could be like a genius and you're not going to be able to figure it out, you know, the first time around. So to, to answer your question, no, I don't think that they got it. I think they did like I think subconscious, like intuitively, and that's the genius of Lynch. Like even something like I think Lost Highway in a racer had, in my opinion, like in his films are probably his most esoteric. Hard to really kind of get into like what is going on. And uh, but I think you know you can develop your own kind of interpretations, but both of those films are like filmed nightmares. It really is like having a dream, and you're really kind of living inside David Lynch's dream. And those are more darker dreams, nightmarish dreams. And I think that you can you can internalize some kind of logic, but it's hard to like actually if you're if you're not like a poet and you're not very you know articulate to get it out of what it means. And I think there's very few people that can can do that but I think that you can feel you can intuit what's going on and I think the Showtime executives did just that and I think that they put a lot of money into the show a lot of advertising because they know it's not just about stature it's they they watched it they know I think they they could foresee what's going on and how it would be um, evaluated and discussed and ultimately, I think, put on this this pedestal. And look at something like Firewalk With Me. I was just chatting with someone. Or I, I, I'm not chatting, but I read this post on Facebook. And someone was just really uh, just kind of poo-pooing this, this third season and just saying it was just a bunch of shit. And it was self-indulgent. It was dribble. The emperor has no, you know, no clothes, all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I'm not trying to say that that person's opinion is incorrect, but I think it's like, I mean, I don't know the details of this person, like, you know, how many times they watched it, if they're how much of a fan they are, but just look at, like, Firewalk With Me, which came out in 92, like, less, pretty much, like, less than a year, just over a year, when the original series ended, and how different it was from the original series, and I think these people had these expectations of what it was going to be, and when it wasn't met, people shit on it, and they shit on it for a long time, but over time, on repeat viewings, and when it could be, you know, reappraised, People think it's like a masterpiece. I mean, I used to have some problems with Firewalk with me, but that's the whole thing about Lynch and, and his films. They're so, you know, artistic and dreamy and mysterious that it's almost impossible to really just say like on one go around, eh, it's great. And I think the same thing holds true with this because it's like nine Firewalk with me, Firewalk with me's. So I think over time, it's it's going to be like for the people that don't like it if they return to it. I think they'll really, really, really get into it. Yeah, I mean, I think The Return could be one of the few rare seasons ever where even 10 years now, 20, 20 years from now, people would say, well, what's that? what was that about? <laughs> and you can't, you can't really answer it. You know what I'm saying? You cannot answer it definitively. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a, it's an abstract painting. It is what you bring to it. It's like the Luke in the cave and Dagobah system in the Empire. Like, it is what you bring with it. Like, what you, you're seeing what, what, what your eyes bring with you to the party. And that's forever going to be that. I wonder, like, should we ever, like, actually take uh, the screen, the page uh, for what it's worth and just try to evaluate it as, uh, you know, some sort of time travel story and, like, not think about (laughs) (laughs) the unified lodge theory and all that stuff? Because I think about one thing is, like, you know, we look like watching the DVD that everything was so scripted and so planned. You know, it's like, how could they have room for much big time improvisation, which I thought might have happened you know, Lynch was complaining that it didn't happen, but I like one thing that happened in the story that I think added the biggest mind fuck that may have not even been on the page was the superimposed Cooper head. You know, like I think right. that right there <laughs> is the big whoa. <laughs> like it just sends you into like the the ether in terms of trying to analyze what this is really about. And I wonder if that was, I mean, that could have just been something as scripted and, you know, they, they didn't really understand what that meant and they just kind of forgot about it or glazed over it. But then this, the series executives like, see it at the end and they're like oh holy shit I don't know what the hell well there's two images yeah I I completely agree with you about that because it really kind of ties into not only what we were talking about with like the lodge theory the unified lodge theory but also the whole like you know we we are like the dreamer who lives inside the dream that's the whole thing is that those two notions can they like coexist but for me that image of Cooper is very similar of the two scenes of him in the, the the red room when he's talking to the evolution of the arm, where he asks him basically the evolution of the arm states, "Do you remember your doppelganger?" And then the second time, is it this little story? Is it the story of the little girl who lived down the lane? And you get kind of this very similar close up of Cooper. And in both instances, you cut away to the, these kind of other storylines. In the first instance, you cut away to Mr. C. And, you know, in the motel room with like Daria and it's almost like 
you know, uh, uh, Cooper and Mr. C, even though Cooper's in the lodge, are still somehow psychically linked, that they can somehow still transfer memories or somehow be they're still still connected. And the same thing happened in part 18 when the evolution of the arm said is that the story of the little girl lived down the lane. He remembers Laura whispering in his ear. So that whole image of Cooper being superimposed in part 17, what we were talking about is that he actually never left the lodge, like physically left the lodge, but obviously he went on a journey and went to these different locations and saw these different people. I just think that it was a, it was a kind of like, you know, manifestation of like in his head being manipulated by the, by the actual lodge. Yes. So there it is. Yeah. <laughs> See the Unified Lodge Theory, parts one and two. <laughs> the stars turn, and a time presents itself. Remember when Hawk was in the woods, and he sees the curtains, and then we yeah. go in. Yeah. We go in. The first image we see inside the lodge at that point, other than the curtains, curtains. we see a, a close-up of the, the statue. Is it Venus de is it Medici? Medici? Yeah, I'm not sure. It wasn't the Damato, it was the other one. Yeah, Medici maybe. But then we saw the room, like in a long shot, and we saw the furniture. We saw the two chairs, the Cooper chair, and, and the statue, and you know the, the, the globe, and, and the light. But no one was sitting in the chairs. No one was there. That's the first image we get. And then the next image we get, Cooper's just in the chair. And then he sees the one-armed man who says, is it future, is it past? I mean, that in another... Uh, sense is like a, a, another clue is that time is so nebulous watching Cooper go from in part two like you know trying to get out after Laura gets sucked out and then being thwarted and he goes in reverse basically he, he reverses track because he gets blocked that's like two different timelines in my opinion there because he's supposed to exit out of the Glodge and go to Glossybury Grove and then ultimately he sees opens the curtains and he sees Mr. C driving down you know, the, the road, that's like another portal, basically. The lodge is like kind of infinite, like we say. We even saw the curtains disappear and saw the black void and the horse kind of representing death. The black lodge is infinite. And Cooper, and this is just through Cooper's eyes, his journey. So, Maybe it was the Doppeldemilo in a Doppel Lodge. We've talked about that well, as well. There he is. I, think, <laughs> I love the idea of a Doppel like Red Room Doppel Black Lodge. I mean, why not? There are doppelgangers in there. Why not have the actual physical location be a doppel as well? Well, in part two, there was that the shaking of the camera in the lodge where there was a, I think we actually pinpointed a particular part right before the, the doppel uh, arm came out and made him, made him non-existent, right? There was, a, there was an interpretation that the, it actually visually showed us that there might be two lodges. Yeah. That, yes, if you were to die and you just ended up in the lodge and you were just eternally in the lodge moving around, would you be happy with that? If yourself? I was to die... Yeah. <laughs> with that fate if you do a podcast occasionally but it's like you know you're in the choose your own adventure type lodge and that's just it you know, that's, that's, well here's a question for forever. you my friend you thought a very good idea that we need to discuss like maybe like some of these five six seven of these kind of more mysterious kind of classic lines in the show yeah and really kind of just focus and talk maybe you know about 10 minutes each on, on one of them and, and I'd like to maybe end this podcast talking about the whole scene with Mr. C and, and, and talking to presumably Jeffries and uh, uh, you'll, you know, you're going, you're coming back in tomorrow and I will be with Bob again. So you want to go ahead and lead us off on that? Like, are you still, you still think maybe Albert has something to do with this? Do you think maybe it's Palmer? <laughs> you think it's Judy? No, no, it's not <laughs> Albert anymore. It can't be Albert, dude. It has to I be know, Judy. I, I have no idea. I honestly do not know. That's what I'm saying. That, and like, there's, there's several that are just absolutely mysterious. Like when part four, when he goes, oh, Coop, we're going to try to get you home. And he's like in the interrogation room, he goes, I never really left home, Gordon. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, there's some yeah, chilling <laughs> lines that are just like, they're left out there just hanging. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell they mean, but they're terrifying and also really intriguing. And I wonder if there are any answers in some of those mysterious lines or they're just mystery builders. And that's what Lynch wants them to be. And that there is no solution or any clues in them. But I would like to sift through them, see if we find any nuggets of gold at some point. Maybe like write down 10 that, that are sticking with us. Because every time I watch a new episode, I'm seeing, I'm like, whoa, what about that? Like, remember when Philip Jeffries is like doing the, it's slippery in here. Then he's like, here it is. Here's what you want. And he goes, there might be someone. Then he also says, this is where you'll find Judy, which is like, oh, you know, what the hell? I mean, you know, you think that 
okay, like he Cooper went to go see Laura Palmer. I originally thought, okay, Laura is Judy. But the first image you get after he says that is of is the Palmer home? house. Yeah, the yeah. Home, so but one home. thing I wanted to mention is that the, the conversation, like, you know, you're going back in tomorrow and I will be with Bob again. It's like, you know, we, we talked about this. I think originally we thought, you know, if it wasn't like Albert, you know, when we were watching it live, we didn't know it was going to unfold that, you know, the only really kind of two candidates for me would have been the one-armed man and Leland because they were the two people that were associated with Bob. But at, on a rewatch of part uh, two again, um, can you tell I, I just watched that again recently, is that the the evolution of the arm, the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm, his, his kind of gum-like face when he's freaking out completely <laughs> resembles the face of the glass box monster. Like the, with no really? eyes, obviously. Yeah, and this, I, was, I was doing like a frame by frame and when he was right before he said like non-existent, like the mouth gets like really big, like the glass box monster. I mean, there was a, a, a connection and I was thinking like, well, we know the arm was part of Philip Gerard. And, you know, that was the signifying for Philip Gerard, like cutting off the arm was cutting off his association with Bob, the tattoo fire walk with me and the evil side of it. And that's why the little the man from another place was, we never kind of really knew like his affiliation. Sometimes he, you know, was you know more on the, the 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 evil side and the good side. We didn't really know. I think it really kind of was determined in Firewalk with me that he was actually the arm. So what if that evil aspect of the evolution of the arm, the doppelganger, was the one that actually somehow communicated with Mister C in part two on that phone? That sounds all fine and dandy, but how could he use the phone to dial? How do you know the digits? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> See, it goes yeah. back to, uh, you know what it could go back to? is like, remember one of your original theories was maybe it's Mike. Mike. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe well, that is Mike. Season four. I know, but they haven't really said it specifically. Yeah. That yeah. Mike, who inhabits Philip Gerard, is the one. Because he was the one that would be with Bob again. Maybe he, uh, he's been going to Bob AA for many years, 30 years. <laughs> and now he's going to have a relapse. He's ready to get with Bob again. Get all jacked up and start killing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, another thing, too, when Laura took her face off in part two, the sound effect, a, li- a little part of it, not the whole thing or whatever, but the, a part of that sound effect is the sound effect that we get in the opening credits, just as we're seeing her homecoming picture over the town of Twin Peaks. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yet strangely, uh, she was referred to as uh, uh, not as Laura Palmer. She was Carrie Page on set when she was brought yeah, in. What do you think of that? I don't know. That's, uh, that still is unsettling to me. I don't understand it. If we if we want to just like kind of think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Carrie Page, and if that's who he's talking to, uh, Carrie Page, and not Laura Palmer, what what is the significance of that? Well, I it mean, seems like that would be that the retcon had already occurred, right? You know what right. I mean? That yeah. now that she was back, but she was Carrie, and she and Laura was gone. That she had been incarnate because Laura was dead, but yet she lives. You know, and you're the only one who can see me. That one line that they cut out, right? Or you see me yeah. alive? You see me alive. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. But, you know, well, the do you think that perhaps like, that no one else could see her alive. It's just him. Well, head. okay. So if, when she was being, if she was being pulled out of the lodge right after she whispered to Cooper, do you think that what she said to Cooper was the kind of like, you know, the cause and effect affected her to actually be sucked up out of the lodge? Or do you think it was just like just a coincidence? I keep thinking that it's something like, you'll never save me. And off she goes. Because that's what happens all the time. She always gets sucked up. Well, but Kind of like Diane. Diane doesn't really stick around. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You never wake (laughs) up next to her the next day. (laughs) She's either full on tulpa or she's just a figment that's just this ethereal in and out of the transoms of Cooper's mind. You know? Well, what if? Laura. Yeah. What if that, you know, what she whispered in his ear somehow planted the seed of him saving her and with time being nebulous that as soon as she planted that seed that happened in a different like timeline which caused her not to die which meant that her presence in the lodge no longer existed and that's why she was oh so he gets sucked out and then she was back to being carrie yeah well i don't know if she's back to being carrie but to be carrie yeah Yeah, that's that's kind of where i'm like leaning towards because when she got sucked out of the woods in part 17 I don't think that you know she went directly to Odessa at that particular point. I thought that there was something um, in the DVD that kind of implied that that was Judy sucking her away, really? not the fireman. I don't know what that was, but I really got the feeling that that was Judy. Do you still think it's Judy or the fireman sucking her off in 17? <laughs> not well, sucking I mean, her off, but sucking her <laughs> up into the lodge in 17. <laughs> 17. 
Well, I, I, I kind of lean towards like the fireman because of what he says in part one. Like he knows the, the sound that's going to be made. He plays it for Cooper, you know, yeah, and if this was, thing. yeah, and the cricket thing, and then he was taking her to the White Lodge or, you know, that, or, you know, the location near Jack Rabbit's palace. I mean, there was that shot. That's where Cooper was taking her. And if the fireman didn't want her there at that point because of Judy being in her house now and needing to like continuing the chess game that he pulled her out at that particular point and he because he sent her to earth basically so he could put her anywhere to maybe put her there so cooper could cross into you know judy land to get laura eventually to get to you know the end game to the palmer house what that implies and why he would want that i don't know but um i think it was more fireman than judy yeah, well, then, but, you know, it's just, I think the fireman would have some decency and send her someplace nicer than Odessa. <laughs> it's like punishment. But don't you think, but that's Laura's kind of destiny. It's like the actual, like, the ore. All that? Or, She's the fucking golden orb savior. She's Joan of Arc, and she, that's what she gets? No, but that's not it. That's the, like, physical manifestation of it. I think the actual, like, you know, the glow, the orb that we saw isn't, see, that's the whole thing. I, I, I originally thought, like, okay, that's going to wind up in like, you know, Leland and he's going to impregnate Sarah. It's going to, you know, it's going to be an immaculate uh, conception. She's going to wind up in Sarah. Yeah, bugception. But I don't think that's the case now. I think it was more kind of like a, like a presence. He was delivering to our planet this kind of like deterrent to this evil. And it wasn't just like, that's why it was the homecoming picture. That was like symbolic. It wasn't But isn't it coincidental that it nature. happened right when the bug, the frog moth came down? It's very coincidental, right? And Sarah happens to be born there now and happens to be the girl, the bug girl, according to Frost's yeah. book. That's all very coincidental. Yeah. Well, I'm it could just, just be, oh, portals. The portals opened good and bad when the atomic bomb test was dropped, right? So that's the other interpretation. Well, Mother I, shot through her, her evil goo through the evil uh, uh, portal that she could get through, and then the fireman sent was able to send Laura down as like a little hope, a little spark of hope amidst all the vomitous evil that, that Judy, but from a different place. But it was the same opening, a crack or a rift. The orb could very well be this, this dream and living inside of a dream. Like he's providing our planet this like very wonderful like, you know, dream or this highly influential dream you know, that, that came from him to also act as a deterrent to the nightmares of like Judy and Bob. So, I mean, you can read you know, many things into it, but... Uh, What's the point? <laughs> we're gonna be like uh we'll look at all the people like watching it at moma are they gonna sit down and watch it like in a loop and they'll probably have some new questions theories after they expose them i guess they are gonna put it on a loop right they're not running it on an 18 hour loop i don't think i think you buy tickets for certain days yeah it's in a theater it's not like in a, an exhibit that's just gonna run non-stop but that'll happen one day i think but uh, it's coming true that was good to see right that was pretty cool I mean, it's, we talked about yeah. this was going to wind up in a museum, and here it is. It's already at MoMA, like, what, you know, seven months after it premiered. I mean, they, and I read this article, and uh, the, the, the curator, whoever's in charge of, of, of MoMA, was just talking about how it is just undeniably, like, you know, just this original piece of artwork. And they wanted it, and they got it, and they're showing it. I think it just says a lot. And I, like I said, I think that the Twin Peaks is only going to grow in stature. Um, and I think even some of the fans who didn't like it or as much or were aloof or disappointed, if, if they just give it a chance, knowing what they know, dive into it, because that really is the pure genius of David Lynch is that I, I've said it a million times is like for me, it was Blue Velvet, seeing it as a kid and then watching it's my favorite movie along with Paris, Texas. And even to this day, when I pop in Blue Velvet, it's like a different, like I, I get like a different interpretation or I have a different emotion. Sometimes it's like, it's, it's, it's more on the darker side. Sometimes I find it like extremely funny. Sometimes it's both. It's, that's what's so unique. And, and the, that holds true for a lot of David Lynch's works. And the th same thing holds true for, for Twin Peaks. So just give Peaks a chance. Yeah, what if like whenever 2018 rolls around, it's going to happen in a couple of days. What if we have a completely different viewpoint on the series? Time has changed us. If we cross, yeah, we cross over. like Cooper and yeah. Diane, we have a. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I just, this really was this tremendous gift that we got. And, uh, yeah, what a year. You know, I've, I can't count how many What a times hellishly I've wonderful year. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great antidote. It really has. I mean, I don't watch much like television or I don't even go to the film, uh, go to the cinema that often anymore. But I mean, this in my being able to watch this in my home, 18 hours of like David Lynch, I, I'm I mean, I'm going to have different interpretations of the show, but it's only going to like kind of like deepen 
and become more part of my my gray matter DNA. It's just going to really kind of just like some kind of Cronenbergian organic kind of uh, <laughs> videodrome thing where it's just Twin Peaks. Permanent you know? fixture in your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's oozing. <laughs> Government <Right>. Zia. <laughs> Mugwump jism, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, oh. <laughs> it's been a wonderful year. Yeah, we've had a great time. Uh, you know, how, how many podcasts we've done? 30, 44 maybe? So almost 50 hours probably of uh, conversations with all you wonderful people out in the world so we thank you guys for tuning in all year and we look forward to uh what we're gonna what comes in 2018 we're hoping maybe hope hope season four uh will be announced sometime next year that's our dream but if not we're gonna keep rocking until the wheels fall off uh you know you got any last thoughts for this episode for this year my friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it has been a great ride it's been really magical and i just want to thank everyone to support us murphy and i have been twin peaks fans you know, since the very beginning david lynch fans and we decided to, you know, share our thoughts and we really had no expectations. I mean, if we got like, you know, 10 people to listen, we thought, wow, that's cool. But to have the listeners that we have in like all over the world, it's like it's international and the, the feedback and the social media. For me, it, it really has been like a blessing. It really has been a gift. And I've enjoyed every every second of it. And uh, in 2018, we're going to continue. Murphy and I are going to go to our first Twin Peaks Fest in uh, the Snoqualmie North Bend area yeah. when tickets go on sale, I think, in February. We've never been <laughs> there. Gonna be a trip. Stay at the Great Northern, the Salish Lodge. <laughs> we're looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to keep on podcasting indefinitely. And uh, we're going to start doing – we're going to get back to our series Rewind. We've had a few of these theory episodes. We had the final dossier and uh, and the Blu-ray review that we had to get to. But um, we're going to start our series review, uh, Rewind, with, I think, part five. So, But we'll sprinkle in some other uh, things as well. But I uh, just want to thank everyone. It's been a great year, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, crossing over to 2018 with you as well. That's right. On uh, that note, Happy New Year, and talk to you next time. I catch a bar the kitchen. I fly down the garage. I swim at Georgia's silence. Now beats in charge. Cut a bulb with a ladder. Hang a peat balloon. I miss you so much, baby. I hope you come back real soon. Real soon. <laughs>